We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, Eli Lilly, a pharmaceutical company, comes out in a recent commercial and tells you that you were randomly assigned your body at birth. Is this a scientific claim or is this little more than a religion and a philosophical premise? I'll answer these questions and more on today's rebellion. Welcome to today's rebellion. In yesterday's show, I said that I wanted to discuss two things. And those two things were the definition of love as well as the definition of the human being. Well, I ran out of time and I only covered the first of the two issues, the definition of love. As you know, I tackled this issue of what's love got to do with it? Is love just a second-hand emotion, or is it something different than that? How do we define our terms? How do we define love? I've said over and over again, he who defines the terms wins the debate. And when we get to this question of love in our culture today, we have to ask people what they mean when they use the word. I shared with you the anecdote of a confrontation I had with a young pastor and a at a district camp, a district conference some years ago, where he came to me during an intermission, during a conference break, and he asked me, how do we resolve this question of love in our culture today? Don't people have the right to love whom they want to love? Well, my first response to him, and frankly, my only response, was a rhetorical question, and that is this. Are love and sex synonymous? Does love mean sex and does sex mean love? Are they the same thing? Are we referring to the same thing? Well, just some simple reflection sheds light on this particular dilemma because we know that the answer is no, they're not the same thing. And as I described to you yesterday, as I shared with you this scenario yesterday, clearly this young pastor understood that we love a lot of people that we're not sexually engaged with nor do we desire to be sexually involved with those people. We love a lot of people, and we should love a lot of people outside the parameters and the definition of eros, the Greek word for erotic love. And I shared with you there's another word in the Bible for love, and it's agape, and that is unremitting commitment. That is, some would argue, the highest love, the highest kind of love. This commitment that you have to other people, other groups, family, commitment, it's unremitting. It doesn't change. You're bound together in this. There's this deep love that is anything but sexual in nature. And then there's phileo, the love you have amongst friends, your best friend, the best man in your wedding, for example, the maid of honor. This is a love that you have between friends that is not erotic. 
And if we dumb down the definition of love to be nothing but eros, we're losing a great deal in our culture. And we're lying to ourselves, essentially, by suggesting that love and sex are synonymous. Well, I covered that yesterday. But today I want to deal with the issue of the human being. Defining the human being. Yesterday, defining love. Today, defining the human being. We've touched on some of these issues in previous shows, but I'm going to dig deeper into the question of who are you? What is the human being? How do you define yourself? What is a person? What is personhood? How do you know about the self? What is a self? These are deep questions. We've been asking these questions for several thousand years. But it's like a boomerang. There are certain answers that we thought we threw away 2,000 years ago, and they're turning around, circling back, and they're hitting us in the back of the head right now. And we have to acknowledge that those who don't learn the lessons of history are going to be doomed to repeat them. So after we take a break, I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about the definition of the human being and how do we know ourselves. How do we know what the self, our personhood, really is? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. As I said, the singular topic for the rest of the show is this question of how do we know who we are? How do you know who you are? How do you understand the self How do you understand what it means to be a unique person? These are questions we've been asking for centuries. These are questions that plague or interest or fascinate the human mind. These are questions that distinguish us from everything else. Dogs don't sit around and ask these questions. Horses don't ask these questions. Cows don't. Human beings do. We are self-aware we understand that there is a self. Well, what is that? What is the self? Well, setting the context for the rest of the discussion in today's show, I'd like to go back to this commercial from Eli Lilly. And I'm going to read to you the script of this commercial. So bear with me. It's a commercial that lasts about 90 seconds. And obviously, I think the script will read quicker than that because I'm not taking the pauses for all the video that's included in the commercial. Here's the text. Medicine works in a rich body just as well as in a poor body. It's as effective in 90210 as it is in 96503. Medicine will not discriminate because of the color of your skin. Medicine pays no attention to the borders we draw to divide ourselves from each other. Because the body you are randomly assigned at birth shouldn't determine how well you are cared for or how hard we work to find answers, partners, and hope. Each one of us deserves to have our story, our gift, our laugh, our lesson, our love shared with everyone who needs it. We make medicine, not just for some, but for everyone. Close quote. That's the commercial. Now let's go back over it again very, very quickly here because I want you to hear what they're saying. You should already notice there is something strange about this. 
Here we go again. Medicine works in a rich body just as well as in a poor body. It's as effective in the zip codes 90210 as it is in 96503. Medicine will not discriminate because of the color of your skin. Medicine pays no attention to the borders we draw to divide ourselves from each other. So far, so good, right? None of this is odd. But listen to the next sentence. Because the body you are randomly assigned at birth shouldn't determine how well you are cared for or or how hard we work to find answers, partners, and hope. Each one of us deserves to have our story, our gift, our laugh, our lesson, our love shared with everyone who needs it. We make medicine, not just for some, but for everyone. Because the body you are randomly assigned at birth? This is a pharmaceutical company, and they're saying that your body is randomly assigned to you at birth. Well, who are you if the body that is randomly assigned to you at birth, who are you if you're different from, separate from, and distinct from that randomly assigned bag of biology and bones? That's what they're claiming, that somehow the body is distinct from you, the human being. That your arms and your toes and your nose and your ears Your knees and your elbows, your lungs and your heart are not part and parcel of you. That they've just been randomly assigned to you. That the genetic makeup of your body, the biological reality of the body is just randomly assigned to you. Again, I go back and I ask the question, well, who is you. Who is the you that they are referring to? This is the question of the definition of the human being. Now, the irony here is that this is a pharmaceutical company. This is a company that profits in science, but yet they're making a philosophical leap, a religious leap, a theological leap, where they're now claiming that the body that they produce products for to keep the body healthy. What's the point of a pharmaceutical product if it isn't for the body? Is it for the soul? Is it for some sort of nebulous you or self that's out there that's separated from the body? They're actually diminishing and degrading the very reality of the human being by separating this body from the being and therefore their whole business is called into question because if that body isn't you then why do they care about keeping it healthy why not let something else win rather than your body why not let the disease the amoeba the virus the cancer Why not let it win rather than this randomly assigned body that is separate from you? Sounds confusing. I know. I get it. You're probably thinking, Piper, what the heck are you talking about right now? 
Well, this stuff is important because it is coming home to roost. The chickens are coming home to roost. Barack Obama's pastor was right about one thing. The chickens will come home to roost. Bad ideas will breed bad consequences. And here's the idea driving this whole randomly assigned body nonsense that you're hearing all over the place. It's transhumanism. It's transhumanism. And they're making claims now that not only can you be a transgendered or a transsexual, but you can be a transhumanist and you can transition beyond the very definition of what has traditionally been defined as the human being. You don't have to be confined to this bag of biology that you were randomly assigned at birth. You can transition beyond that biology, beyond the matter, beyond the substance, the skin, the sinew, the blood, the biology of the human being doesn't matter because that's just stuff that was randomly assigned. This is a dangerous place to go because the degradation of the body means that culture will no longer hold the body to be significant and will no longer guard the dignity of the body to the extreme where you can actually just do away with it if you find it to be inconvenient. If there are certain bodies that you think are not worthy of protection, for, exa for example, the bodies of those who suffer from Alzheimer's, the bodies of those who suffer severe dementia in other ways, the bodies of those who are seriously handicapped, such as those with spinal bifida, or perhaps the bodies that we just find inconvenient. For example, a newborn infant that we didn't want in the first place. If the body doesn't matter, then just do away with the body, yours as well as someone else's because it's just randomly assigned anyway, right? This is what's called Gnosticism. Now the Greek word gnosis is the word for knowledge. Gnostics rose up in the first and second century of the church because they were making a claim to have special knowledge. They believed that knowledge, information, if you will, the non-material of our existence is what defines the human being. So Gnostics thought the body, the material world, was bad. And it was the intellectual world, the cognitive world, the thoughts, the information that we have in our heads that's what defined the human being. That's what made us a self. So when we talk, when we when they talked about the self, they were talking about the information, the knowledge, the special knowledge that they had that distinguished distinguished them as being superior to other people around them who didn't have that special knowledge. Gnosis, Gnosticism, is what elevated this group of existentialists as being superior to everyone else. This is where we are today. We're having a revival, a religious revival, with all the pomp and circumstance, the tent revival, the sawdust trail. We're having a revival right now, but it's not a revival of Orthodox Christianity. 
It's a revival of first and second century Gnosticism. The elevation of information above and beyond the importance of the actual body. Let me share another story with you to make my point. This is a story from July 6th. It's written by Jennifer Bellick. Now, this story is titled Martine Rathblot, a founding father of the transgender empire, is now arguing for the ultimate end of transgenderism to be transhumanism. Here's the subtitle. Martine Rathblatt is an entrepreneur and lawyer who has been instrumental in the rise of transsexualism, transgenderism, and ultimately transhumanism. This is going to get bizarre. Get ready for your eyes to cross. But it's very important. Pay attention to this. This is not just crackpot wonkery that's taking place in the ivory tower. This stuff is coming home to roost because you see it in the transgender argument where women don't exist any longer because their bodies don't matter. And somebody who's been randomly assigned the body of a man can now say, I'm not a man, I'm a woman, and therefore I'm going to discard this randomly assigned male body and I'm going to claim gnosis, special knowledge of being a female, and I'm going to supplant anybody who is a biological female from their shower, from their sport, from their scholarship, because I deserve it just as much as they do because I was cursed with this randomly assigned body. Back to this article. Rathblatt is the CEO of United Therapies, and he's the former he-she. It's a biological male who's claiming to be a female. The former CEO of SiriusXM. And he's the highest paid CEO in the country. At the heart of the emerging gender identity industry is a man in a dress donning women's breasts with the confidence only a man could acquire after a lifetime of being a first-class citizen. That's how this article starts. Martine Rathblatt, born in 1954, is exceedingly accomplished, an entrepreneur and a lawyer. As the founder of United Therapeutics, he was the top-earning CEO in the biopharmaceutical industry. His ident- he identifies as transsexual and as a transhumanist and has written extensively on the connections between the two. That's the point that I'm trying to highlight here. The transsexual movement is combined and connected to this transhumanist movement that Rathblatt and others are promoting now. And what is that? Rathblatt actually believes that human sexuality and the dichotomy of male and female sexuality is tantamount to South African apartheid and that transgenderism is the on-ramp to transhumanism, which for him is an exercise in overcoming what he calls fleshism. Sound bizarre? Sound like you're something in Star Trek? I know, I know. But these people actually believe this. Basically, the rest of the article goes on to describe this. 
they actually believe that they can download all of the thoughts and information that you hold in your head, that they have the technology to do it, that they can use artificial intelligence to download all of the information that you as a human being now hold in your head. And if you do download all of it, every single thing that you hold in your brain, and you put that in some sort of computer, artificial intelligence, that that is you. That is the self. Because the body doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is gnosis, knowledge, special knowledge. That is the self. Again, your arms, your legs, your elbows, your knees, your fingers, your toes, your nose, your ears, your eyes. None of that matters. Your heartbeat doesn't matter. None of it matters. All of that is bad. The only thing that is good is the information that you hold in your head. And if you can somehow transfer, upload that information into artificial intelligence, you can live forever. You can live forever because the body can die. In fact, the body's bad. It degrades. It's subject to disease. It's, it's really an inferior machine, if you will. It's the hard drive that's antiquated and outdated. It's the software in your head that really is the definition of personhood. It's that software that can be preserved forever. Sound bizarre? It is. They're completely ignoring something that we all intuitively know. And what is that? We have a soul. You know as you're listening to me talk right now that this is a confusing mess. You also know that it makes no sense. You can save all the information you have in your head from now until the cows come home. But when you die, you're dead. You're gone. Your body is part and parcel of who you are. Now, as a Christian, I do believe, and many of you who also are believers believe and understand that the reason we're having this conversation is we do have that eternity in us. It's called our soul. And that's part of who we are, too. That we're not just flesh, we're not just a bag of bones, and we're not just information stored in a computer. That God has created us in his image as a person, as a human being. And our being is grounded in that creative act of God. And because of that creative act, we have the ability to have this conversation confusing though it may be, we can try to get our minds wrapped around it and understand that there's something wrong here, that they're cutting the baby in half. And when you cut a living thing in half, it doesn't live forever, it dies. When you sever the mind from the body, you don't have an eternal human being, you have a dead thing. You have something that is less than what it was created to be. Anybody who actually thinks that just uploading all of the information in your head into a computer is going to allow you to live forever doesn't understand the definition of self. The definition of self. And that when you say, I hurt myself, you're not saying you just hurt your ideas. 
You're not saying you just hurt your body. Because sometimes when you hurt yourself, you're hurting your soul. You're hurting your spirit. You're emotionally damaged, not just physically damaged. And you're not just compromising the ideas, somehow short-circuiting the ideas that exist within that software. No, when you hurt yourself, you're compromising that thing that is uniquely human. In the beginning, God created man. Male and female, he created us. He created us in his image, in the image of God. He created us, as I've said a hundred times over, imago Dei, image of God. He didn't create us, imago dog image of the animal, and he also didn't create us, imago data, that all we are is the image, the compilation, the accumulation, the uploading of tons and tons of data into some sort of suitcase called artificial intelligence. And if you could put all that data in that suitcase, in that box, in that compartment, that that's the definition of eternal life? No, not at all. And we understand this is bogus nonsense. But if we don't recognize that this is the challenge of our time, this is the challenge that comes with trans identity. The LGBT trans argument is the argument that you can transition out of the biological reality of the body because the body is just randomly assigned. Eli Lilly, the pharmaceutical company, the scientists just told you the body doesn't matter. It was just given to you randomly. And you, yourself, your identity is something different than all of that. And if that's the case, then kill the body. Kill it through euthanasia. Kill it through uh, inconvenience. Because all that matters is saving those ideas, the gnosis. The gnosis is what defines the human being. You know who went here before us? The Nazis did. The Nazis embraced radical existentialism and gnosis to the extent that they defined other bodies other than the perfect one of the Aryan race and the perfect mind of the Aryan race as being superior, and anything else was inferior and could be discarded. I said it once, I'll say it again. He who doesn't learn the lessons of history is doomed to repeat them. And this lesson of Gnosis, Gnosticism, is a dangerous place for us to go. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Remember this, in times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. And the truth is, you are body, mind, and soul. That's the definition of what it means to be a human being. I'm Dr. Piper, and this is The Rebellion.